Hello, one and all, and welcome to the Super Show podcast. I'm your host for this week, Jamie, and joining me, as ever, is my, I almost called you my, my trusty sidekick, but that, that's not fair because you host this podcast every other week, is Mr. Alex Jones. Uh, my hetero life partner, Jamie. Um, now, yeah, I don't know, what are you if you're co hey. I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have to raise some questions immediately. Why did you go to like a vaguely German or Austrian accent when you started doing the homosexual bit? Because uh, it makes me always think of the Dutch. Uh, although to be fair, it's the opposite to what I was saying. Is is it the Dutch couple police officers who are from the Far Show? And it was um, and oh. the joke was he would say he would say he's my uh, my partner, but also my lover. <laughs> his, uh, okay. his name is Hans. Um, you had a good escape route there. I like that. Thank you. Yes. I thought I thought maybe for a second you were going down the uh, the Bruno route, one of Sasha Baron Cohen's less loved characters, but still got his own major feature film. I realised my brain put together two things. So it took the far show uh, gay police couple, right, with the yeah. accent, and put that together with Jay and Silent Bob, the hetero life partner things from Jay and Silent Bob, oh. which I've now only just realised as I was saying it. But I don't know why my brain put those two things together. Maybe I'm sus about Jay and Silent Bob, but maybe that was that was the weird undertone of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back that Jonesy picked up on, but no one else did. Was that actually they're gay lovers always were and always has been? No prizes for guessing who's the bottom out of those two. Silent Bob. Yeah, it has to be Silent. Bob. I mean, you, you, you said it, and I was like, oh. no, you said it. And Silent, I was like, yeah, you but, can't be a top and be called Silent Bob. Strong Silent type. Well, uh, he is, he does give bare qualities, I guess, which is again apparently desirable in that community. And there is the the bit in I think it's Mallrats where Jay is just completely is it Mallrats where he's just missing like everything, and then Silent Bob just like screams at him. And yeah, he's like, the name on the thing, he just, like loses his shit, and he's, that's and he's the, in, yeah. Oh, well, that's the benefit of writing the movies that you star in is you can give yourself all the best bits and all the best lines. Um, You'd have thought we'd applied some kind of logic uh, borrowed from that to this podcast and give ourselves good lines, good intros, smart ways to welcome people into the first two minutes of a podcast that's nah. actually about video games. But no, we don't bother. Um, we go right in with uh, outdated and insensitive impressions <laughs> and questionable conversations about um, heterosexual or even homosexual life partners. That is the Super Show guarantee, and it's what we strive to bring you every week when we sit down to discuss all the latest and greatest from the video games industry, and we do so on YouTube. More often than not, you can actually find us live over there on Monday evenings. This is an exception, as we've had to pre-record this episode. My fault. I'm going to be out of the city. Not out of the country. Out of the city. Um... Nothing special, but it just means that we're going to have to break. We recorded this a day early, but you're going to be listening to it right on time, hopefully on YouTube. Um, or you could, of course, be listening to this on podcasting platforms like Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. And, of course, if you want to join into the, the conversation, you have a thought or a take on anything you're about to hear in the next couple of hours, you can reach out to us on YouTube or on Twitter at Super Show Pod. Or, of course, you can just get involved in the comment section of the YouTube video. Or you could just wait till we're live next week and come and visit us and chat with us live. We do, on occasion, for as disruptive as it can be to the podcasting format, re respond to people during a live stream. Don't ask me why. Uh, we'll <laughs> super chat so more often than not, actually. Is that a le uh, not very well veiled dig at me? When no, I just I interrupt. I think I think we're better off for it. And I also think, I don't know, if you're going to do a product that's live streamed, no matter, even if you're live streaming it for the sake of convenience, which I guess we technically are, I think you've got to lean into the fact that it's live. And 
everyone knows the feeling of being in a chat and spamming the same message or the same question over and over again and feeling ignored or not seen. And I don't know. I, I, I tend to, so there's a, there's a couple of things I tend to, I kind of want, I want to prove that we're live in some respect. The only reason I say me is because I'm the one who can see the chat. Jamie can't, uh, or Iksan can sometimes, but often can't see the chat. So I'll be the one who responds uh, to people live um, or raises them. So Jamie can uh, hear the point as well. Uh, yeah, but sometimes I want to p- let people know, hey, we are live and I can see what you're saying. And sometimes people do weigh in with um, with really good comments uh, just to help us along. I don't, we don't tend to react to things as people say them um, if they're just getting involved in the conversation, just because obviously that would kind of derail things and would be a bit weird for our audio listeners after, and even YouTube <laughs> listeners after the fact. Um, but yeah. no, some, we, I think a little couple of weeks ago, there was someone in- interjected with something really useful. I cannot remember for the life of me what it was. Um, but there we go. Yeah. You get useful information, you get thoughts, starting questions, you get all of the above. And like Josie said, we still have more people watching and listening to this podcast after the fact. So that is still the primary audience we have to cater for. But there is nothing wrong with a cheeky little question or a thought starter coming from the chat. And Josie, that's actually something that happened last week that we have you know, kind of integrated into the podcast for this week and maybe in perpetuity as well, depending on how people feel about it. New I feature. Believe- yeah, it's a new feature courtesy. Am I right in thinking it was from Pastors Guild, one of I our be- patrons? I believe so. I think it was a super chat on last week. Um, yeah, um, this was a, yeah. a good suggestion, a good idea. It was indeed, because I, I don't know about you, Jonesy, but whenever I've read sort of comment sections of Super Show podcasts in the past and even just spoken to people, for example, on our Discord, one of the things I'm surprised by is that while we do have people amongst our audience who are really tuned into gaming news and follow the industry and they might spend a lot of time on social media or on Reddit or on YouTube just consuming the stuff all the time, we do have people in our community who actually are mostly tuned out of video games, kind of, you know, Monday to Friday, and then, you know, sit down on a Monday night and put on the podcast, and that's essentially all the news they get for the week. Um, puts a lot of responsibility on our shoulders to not just inform, but inform correctly. Um and hopefully humorously. Um, and I guess this is kind of an, a new feature that's an interesting extension of that. We're just going to rattle through the games that are going to be coming out in the coming month. Um, gives us a little bit of an opportunity, I guess, to share a thought or two on the upcoming release schedule and also keeps you, hopefully, in check and in tune with everything that's happening and what your wallet is going to be put towards in the next 30 days. And conveniently, Jonesy, because it is the 27th of August, at the time of recording, even later than that, at the time of listening and or watching, it means we can preview the month of September a little bit. How does that sound? Uh, it sounds fantastic, especially given how um, chunky September um, is looking to be. Yeah, September and October are going to be behemoths, so <laughs> arguably the perfect time to start. So, like, no offence to Passers Guild, but if his super chat had come in in June, I'd have been like... Yeah, like, <laughs> yet it's right? rough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, not the case in September. And if we actually flash forward to September 6th, we've actually got uh, a head-to-head of what could end up being the two biggest RPGs of the year. One of them, though, has an asterisk. The asterisk comes with Baldur's Gate 3 because it is the PS5 version of Baldur's Gate, which, is, of course, was uh, delayed slightly after the gargantuan PC release we saw, how was that, a month ago now? I can't even remember. Yeah, but it must have been, right? It must have been about a month. Yeah, It doesn't seem also, that long ago, which is weird, but it, yeah, it must be. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's one of those things where you try and, if you count how many podcasts ago it was that we were talking about how big that game was, that felt like at least three podcasts ago, 
And then for the game to have got that big, it had to have been out for at least, you know, some portion of a week. Are you doing some live Googling? I'm doing live Googling indeed. I can see the eyes are moving. He's scanning. This is ChatGPT in effect. (laughs) Am I the, uh, I'm ChatGPT incarnate. Uh, It was the- You're reading. 3rd of August was the release date. So yeah, you were right. There you go. go. Yeah, so Baldur's Gate 3 on the PS5. And it's also worth noting uh, that- this past week, in fact, at Gamescom, Phil Spencer met up with the good folks at Larian Studios and confirmed that Baldur's Gate 3 would finally be able to make its way to Xbox. Apparently, the issue there, Jonesy, was console parity. Um, it was really difficult to get split screen, which is a big part of the Baldur's Gate 3 experience, working on the Series S. And Xbox have a rule that everything, every game has to be, you know, in terms of actual um, you know, like features, has to, there has to be parity between the two platforms. That um, parity has supposedly been wavered for Larian to be able to get Baldur's Gate three on Xbox platforms. So, well, yeah, it's one of those. We need parity on both our, our, you know, less powerful and, and powerful until until such time as we just can't have a game that works, and then we'll just throw out the window. Which I'd say, yeah. come on, I would, I totally get, I absolutely get it. Like, I think Xbox are trying to be accessible with the S, and I don't think I don't. I think the idea was that they didn't want to have like a. Um, like a two-tier system of like S and X, and these are very different platforms. But at the same time, like I, I think it makes sense, right? If you cannot get it to run pro- the same on the S, I, I think it makes sense to me. To, um, yeah. I, I don't think anyone's actually going to be too bothered about this. There might be some people out there with Series S that are like, oh, I really wanted split screen, but then the alternative was not getting the game at all. Exactly. And I think when yeah. you phrase it that, yeah, exactly. Um, although one reason why Phil Spencer and Xbox fans don't need to be uh, too salty about their uh, wait for Baldur's Gate 3 is because the other game coming out on September 6th, Jonesy, is, of course, Starfield, um, which I don't know if you've been looking at sort of the, the the leaks and tidbits of information that have crept their way out now that that game is in the hand of journos around the world, but it's poor, spicy. One of the f- most fun takes I saw uh, that was uh, um, apparently Phil Spencer gave them permission to talk about it purely because... Um, uh, it was, I suppose, because it was a positive. Was the fact that in a lot of the a lot of the trailers and some of the gameplay footage that we've seen up to this point, there is some kind of like um, uh, smoothness issues with some like movement in game. Um, yeah, and I believe that Digital Foundry were given the permission to actually say this is not an in-game thing. It's to do with the export and the trailers and the way that they're being displayed online is causing that effect. But the game is slick and smooth, and that is not an issue. Which I thought was quite. Uh, yeah, I can see why they gave them that. Like. Uh, that out to talk about that before the NDA was up. Exactly. And, and of course you give that exclusively to Digital Foundry because they are like the de facto kind of most trusted outlet, I think, of late when it comes to technical elements and performance uh, you know, functionality in games. Um, we're going to talk more about Starfield though later on the podcast. Moving on to the rest of September though, sports fans and motorheads will be able to rejoice for the following week because NBA 2K24 comes out on September 8th. That's then followed by Ubisoft's The Crew Motorfest on the 14th. Quick little reminder as well that The Crew Motorfest, I believe, is going to launch alongside kind of like a demo-style uh, release that is going to give you access to the first handful of hours of that game. So if you were considering pre-ordering The Crew Motorfest, maybe hold off a little bit uh, because you might be able to play a chunk of it for free. Likewise, speaking of demo demos, Lies of P, the uh, Souls-like game that stars Pinocchio is coming out on September 19th. That's another game that is going to that already has a demo and that is going to be on Game Pass. So another reason to maybe hold off on purchasing that at full price. Um, although 
No such options if you are looking forward to Mortal Kombat 1, which launches on the same day, September 19th. Um, I don't know about you, Jonesy, uh, but I have mostly got my fill of Mortal Kombat action just by watching the fatalities as they've been uploaded to YouTube one by one. I, but you know what? I was thinking that maybe I'm going to get... I, I probably won't, but I was thinking maybe it's time for me to get back into a bit of Mortal Kombat with this. Um, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It's, a, it's Like yeah. I said, it's a chunky month. And then October is 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 the same, so it's going to be tough. Yeah, like Joe just said, the month of September isn't even done yet because the latest entry in the popular Payday series is going to launch on September 21st. That's Payday 3, complete, as we learnt um, at Gamescom, with Ice T's heist, um, for those of you who have a, um, a love of both killing people, robbing banks, and hip-hop. Um, and I think if you like all three of those things, then you probably also like Cyberpunk 2077. And that's relevant because the Phantom Liberty DLC will finally get released on September 26th. The first and only major expansion to Cyberpunk that is expected to launch around the same time as, if not slightly after, the 2.0 update, which Jonesy, as we learned last week, is going to, top to bottom, shuffle the deck when it comes to Cyberpunk. Yes, big. That's It's, it's weird because it, I was going to say, like, Starfield. Starfield should easily be the biggest thing of this month. You know, more yeah. combat is big. Um, but Cyberpunk 2.0 and uh, Phantom Liberty, you know, it's up there. It's definitely up there, which is which is totally. good for a game which is now a couple of years old. Yeah, I'm I'm in the process of uh, getting a new PC, courtesy of my work, and it's got a 3080 in it. And when I was talking to some folks this past week, both yourself and Chris and Steph and people like that, about what I was looking forward to really diving into when I had that new graphics card. Starfield was on the list, and the other thing on the list was Cyberpunk. Um, not just because you know the Phantom Liberty update and the Phantom Liberty DLC and the two point update, but also because they keep on. They've done so much stuff to that game, even in the past year, when it comes to like the path tracing and the kind of the really high end ray tracing uh, features they're implementing. The release of DLSS three point five, which supposedly is going to have massive improvements to the uh, game's performance when you are using um, various implementations of ray tracing. Lots to be excited about. And then we're going to round off the um, the month with a game that no one here is going to be excited about, except maybe me. Um, but 97% of Europe is actually going to not just be excited about, but buy, and that is EA Sports FC, the first EA Sports football game post-FIFA. No one's buying it. No one's buying it. No one's going to know what it is. No one's mum is going to know what it is. They're going to go in the shop and go, I tried to buy FIFA, but I couldn't find it. And same in Spain. And they're not going to buy it. And the kids are going to be getting all mad like, mom has changed names. It's called EAF Sports FC now. And it's going to go down in history as the worst launch of a FIFA game of all time. I mean, I'm not going to follow you all the way on that that little anecdote, but I think there's some truth. I think there will be some confusion in retailers around the world. There will absolutely be parents who are ready for their annual visit to their local games retailer to pick up FIFA and are like, this is not FIFA. Like, why are you trying to sell me this? Why are you trying to con me into buying the wrong game for my son or daughter? <laughs> I don't want Pez 2. Give me FIFA. Yeah, exactly. What is I this d- football club? I don't understand. <laughs> so they should go around and just write FIFA on like their lined paper torn out of a book and just put it sure. into the covers of all the game on the shelves. Or they just pull a, pull a Prince move. They should just call it the artist formerly known as FIFA, and then <laughs> yeah. people would know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Stupid um, name. <laughs> it's a dumb name. Stupid name to round out a, a stupidly busy, um, but equally as exciting month 
for video games to look forward to in September. I don't know how far uh, Jonesy and I's pocket money is going to stretch next month. We're going to try and make as much use as possible, I'm sure, of uh, features and services such as Game Pass as we touch <laughs> as many of those touch as many of those titles as possible and bring you our latest thoughts and opinions on this very podcast. Um, so if you're if you're you know on the fence about any of those titles, all the more reason to stay tuned to this uh, program to our programming as we venture into September and try and bring you the lowdown on everything it's got to offer. Oh, Jonesy, you think that EA Sports FC is going to cause a little bit of confusion amongst gaming consumers? I have a nominee for something that's going to cause even more confusion um, and subsequently sell even worse. Um, do you want to hear what it is? Yes. It's the PlayStation Portal. First up, can we just... The name... Yes, go for it. Do you know what's really annoying about that name? Is attempting to like look up stuff and information about the portal and like and, and typing in PlayStation Portal, every link I got was just about the game Portal and Portal 2, which was annoying right. as, as hell. Like yeah. first up. Also, it doesn't make any sense because I get that they want to call it like the portable and it's a portal maybe to your PlayStation, but Portal is a terrible name. Yes. Also, PlayStation Portable is what PSP was short for. Which is so why they, this isn't that, I, I'm, I'm guessing, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure there's also some kind of like double meaning where it's like, it is a portal into the world of your PlayStation, but um, even that has asterisks and caveats that we need to explore in depth right now, Jonesy. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, you hinted prior to us recording that you and I might not even necessarily see eye to eye on this device, so I'm curious to know... Um, what side of the fence you come down on. But for those of you who don't remember what this even is, this is the artist formerly known as Project Q. Um, it was leaked uh, many, many months ago. You might have even seen images of it. It is a thing that looks like a DualSense controller that has been perfectly cut in half with an 8-inch LCD screen placed in the middle of it. According to Sony, that screen we now know is capable of 1080p resolution at 60 FPS. Also, alongside the name, we now know the price, which means we can confirm it will cost $199 US dollars, um, $219.99 European euros, and, um, and back to $199.99 in Great British Pounds. It's going to launch later this year. And Jonesy, if we dive straight into the part that is going to confuse some people, irritate others, but perhaps bring joy to a whole other tiny third group, um, it is that rather than being a traditional handheld console, which is what it might look like, albeit a very slim one, this is a device that can only stream games from a PlayStation 5 console. And I've got a quote here. PlayStation Portal will remotely con will connect remotely to your PS5 over Wi-Fi, so you'll be able to swiftly jump from playing on your PS5 to your PlayStation Portal. That means that this is not a streaming device in the way that it taps into, like, PlayStation Plus Premium or what used to be called PlayStation Now, you're not streaming games from the cloud. You are remote playing games that you own from your PS5 while your PS5 is itself switched on and connected to the network. Um, and while they do talk about here, and this is something you and I discussed prior, Jonesy, and the kind of weird wording on a lot of PlayStation's part, you'll be able to swiftly jump from playing on your PS5 to your PlayStation Portal it almost sounds like they're trying to advertise this as a device that you like. You want you to take your experience off the screen and quickly put it on a smaller screen in front of you, as though you were perhaps still in the same room the whole time, or at least in the same house. This is a device, of course, that you could play from 
a hotel or from the office and so on and so forth, assuming your PS5 at home was still, as I mentioned, on and connected to the network. Um, Jonesy, I'm going to let you kind of fire first, but just to kind of set the precedent a little bit, even at 199 US dollars or Great British pounds, which is, I think, less than some people feared, I think this is a really strange, perhaps even dumb device. I'm torn. Okay, I've been where you're at. I've been Mm -hmm. kind of in the thinking, actually, maybe this is quite a cool product. And now I'm kind of in the middle. And I'll I'll give you my thinking for this. Um, So first off, the price point, right? So 199 pounds, 200 quid, let's call it what it is. That seems pricey um, Mm -hmm. for a portable device that doesn't have any local games on it. You can't just play anywhere you want. Um, You're going to have to be connected to a wireless network. Uh, and that's going to have to be connected to your PlayStation 5, which needs to be on and live. Um, then I, I thinking that, I then sort of thought to myself, well, hold on, I've been trying to buy a DualSense 5 controller recently, and they are not cheap. You're spending about like 75, 80 pounds for a uh, DualSense controller, which is, you know, arguably, it's about half the price of this, of the, um, uh, of think, the PlayStation Portal. I think that's generous. I think if you're paying eighty pounds for a DualSense controller, you're paying too much. It's, it's, okay, let's let's say it's, it says, uh, it's three times the price of a of a controller. Then let's let's go the other way and say it's three in the times region, the price. in the region of three times the price. I will I will back down on that. Yeah. And so then to say like then I was thinking like what are you actually getting for this? So we would the reason I think some of the messaging's been a little confused around this is um, and which my confusion. Let me say, let me sort of say it wasn't yours. Oh. Um, is that this is a PlayStation remote device. So it's nothing new because obviously PlayStation remote works on like a phone or a tablet or something like that, um, mm-hmm. which you can then connect your your um, PlayStation. I wonder if it's that the uptake of that service hasn't been as much as PlayStation thought it would be. Um, and so they're trying to make it easier by saying, maybe the, pro- maybe the problem is controllers. Like no one's going to take their controller and their phone and then attempt to play their games remotely. So maybe we need to give them a, a hard bit of hardware that does this for them. Um, it still is a little bit of a weird prospect because, like as we've said, it needs to be on a Wi-Fi network. So it's pr- so. Let's say you wanted to use it out and about, you'd need some like hotspot to your phone, which is gonna you know that's the Wi-Fi network, and then your phone is gonna provide the internet connection to your home network. But that internet connection is obviously gonna have to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get my head around like, okay, is this a decent bit of kit? And then I read an article which kind of made change my thinking a little bit which then, which directly affects someone like me, for example. So it said the PlayStation portal, one thing that it is good at, good for is if you don't want to have to say, talk about a second screen in your home, like a second TV with another PlayStation. Um, if you want to just be able to pick up your PlayStation five and not have to worry about um, kids, for example, you want to play God of war, but you've got young kids. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's exactly the sort of issue that I have in my house, right? My kids are there, they're playing, um, on the switch and I, and I only got one TV connected to the PlayStation five. I don't really want to have to move it. And my ability to like, like you can with the switch, just pick up the portal and just play that, play the games, like wherever you like, um, is actually quite attractive. It's, but again, it's like for 200 pounds, is it attractive enough? And am I going to cool. use the remote features? And it is a whole bunch of questions, a whole bunch of questions. For yeah. Me. A whole bunch of questions that I, I don't think, the, this product does a particularly good job at answering. And while I understand the situation that you find yourself in, in that you can imagine a use case that would be you know quite desirable in that for you, I still think that it's it's playing 
to a very small audience. And even then, it's playing to an incredibly small audience who are just choosing to go for a more expensive, slightly more convenient alternative, right? Yeah. Like, so like, in, like as you mentioned, in your case, you could have already been remote playing God of War on a phone or a tablet. As you mentioned, not a lot of people do that. Is release is releasing a new handheld, confusingly named, confusingly priced product onto the market going to relate like going to make more people suddenly aware of remote play as, as a functionality in its existence? I don't really think so. Is there a market out there for people who like can't be bothered to buy one of those spines that attach to their phone with a controller, or can't be bothered to, or don't know they can attach like um, like uh, you connect to their phone via, with a Bluetooth controller, for example, which you know is actually a relatively simple process um uh, there are people out there yeah, who probably either don't want to do that or don't know they do that don't know they can do that but again like what what does a 200 pound alternative to that really get people um it's an expensive it's an expensive answer to a problem which doesn't really exist but yeah for ease exactly and it it's for ease for a very small people it's a very small amount of people who have yep. wanted to do this one very specific thing in this very specific circumstance and didn't do these other number of things because they found them too inconvenient like it, the the you know you're diluting it more and more until finally the pool of people left who actually should consider a PlayStation portal for me is 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 tiny 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 and there's also just the very strange situation where for everything that's going on at the moment with cloud gaming, for as much cloud gaming as you have attested to in recent podcasts, could well be the exclusive feature of video games. Certainly here in the UK, we have the CMA actively fighting with multi-billion dollar organizations to make sure that the, you know, the cloud gaming future is in as safe and secure hands as possible. And PlayStation do have some cloud gaming infrastructure they're completely avoiding that route. They're completely cutting out the middleman. And now they're just having a system where like, no, you're going to tap in directly to a PlayStation five. You're going to have the purchases and the installs you have in your PlayStation five. That all makes sense. But like, then you're just in the weird situation where you're like, okay, I'm now playing on a game. I'm now playing a game. You're playing God of War Ragnarok. Your experience on the PlayStation portal, right? Is still, like relies on the quality of the connection and all the other latency potentially adding situations that are involved in that, right? So you might not have a flawless God of War Ragnarok experience the same way you might not have a flawless Halo Infinite experience on an xCloud device, okay? Yeah. The difference is when a PlayStation Portal fan wants to play a different game and realizes it's not installed on the PS5, they then have to then go into their library or the PlayStation Store re-download that game to their PlayStation 5. Hopefully, hope they've got enough space on their PlayStation 5 for it to download just to then stream that game again. If you're on an xCloud device or if you're on NVIDIA GeForce now, you just go and stream a different game. So, like, like you're, 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 you're taking the punishment of playing a game over Wi-Fi, whether it's the latency, whether it's the visuals, whatever it is, but you don't have the benefits that in companies like NVIDIA and Xbox are offering people when it comes to the ability to just stream from a library of games. So there's all kinds of strange things about the portal that mean it doesn't make sense to me. And the last thing I'm going to say very briefly is just competition. You're going to go to the store. You're going to see a PlayStation portal on the shelf for 200 pounds. You're going to see a Nintendo switch Lite next to it for 200 pounds. One of them plays great games natively. The other one lets you stream games. You, you know, you, you have installed on your PS five over Wi-Fi. Um, it's also, I, think it's a, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's a massive no-brainer if you don't I, own a Switch. I think you're. I think you're right in that the, the people that this will appeal to is a very small group of people, 
and it's then even smaller because it's not only a small group of people. So for example, I would love to have a device like this, uh, like for the, like the cool factor. Sure. If, it's, yeah, yeah. if I had yeah. the spare, if I had the cash spare and I, and I was not worried about my, like I've got a few friends like this, they buy cool gadgets and they're like, oh, I've got this cool gadget. I've got that cool gadget. They don't need it. It's not required, but they like it. You know, these are the people who have um, insane racing chairs with like, you know, that are completely, that will work perfectly. And they've got multi- three screens to play like Formula One game cool. or something like that. Absolutely. Though, like, I think this will appeal to those sorts of people. And I could under, and if they bought one, I'm like, absolutely. It's cool. I would like to own one. But if, yeah, I'm, I'm with you in the sense of there are so many better options. For, and I think you nailed it. If, if you really have got the issue of, hey, I want to do remote play, but I, I need a better way of, of that working, you could go and you could buy a third-party um, spine for your phone and your controller and connect the two together. Yeah. And if you're a person who, who is, if it's, only, if it's your PlayStation and it's on and you haven't got to worry about someone else messing with it, you can just take your controller with you. And even if you, and the portal wouldn't solve that problem. Because let's say you went to work and your your wife, girlfriend, whatever is at home who and they play the PlayStation and they want to play a game and you're a disc boy like me, they yep. take the disc out that you wanted to play while you were at work and then they put a different disc in and suddenly you can't even, you've got to call them to say, you've taken out my disc. Can you put my disc in? I was trying to play at lunchtime. <laughs> it's a, it is a weird, yeah. like it is cool. It's cool to have, do you know what it's cool for? It's cool for when you're playing a game and your other half says, come on, bedtime. And you go, yeah, all right. And you pick up the portal and you take it to bed. And then that 10 minutes later when they're asleep, you carry on playing the game you were just playing on the portal in bed. But, but again, everyone, I think almost everyone listening to this already has better alternatives for in-bed gaming. Okay. No, but no, I mean, let's say you were playing a game. Let's say you are playing a specific game. Let's say you've got Baldur's Gate, uh, Baldur's Gate 5 or... Uh, Five, five. Baldur's Gate 3 is coming to PlayStation like on the sick. Let's yes. say you want to get, that game is meaty. Let's say you want to have sex with a bear and all kinds of so- yep. sorts of crazy stuff. And you are deep into that game and you do not want to stop playing. And it's only on your PlayStation. There you go. That, that There's a super specific, tiny fraction of people that want to play in bed as well as playing downstairs. Yeah. That's, that's and, it. And an, and, even, and an even smaller fraction of those people who valued a two hundred dollar or two hundred pound purchase over doing the fundamentally exact same thing on them on their telephone, on their mobile yes. phone? Yeah, who could just pick up their controller, pick up their phone, and and yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a cool bit. It's a cool last bit of kit. It's an eight inch LCD, sixty frames per second, ten eighty p screen, which looks really pretty. Looks nice. It looks cool as shit. I've I've seen in pictures. I'm like, damn, son. They have it's taken the, yeah. the best PlayStation controller to date. They've split that <laughs> okay. bitch in half. They've got the haptics, mm. they've got the touchpad, they've included all of that cool stuff and they've put this very pretty screen in the middle and they've made it look for you. It looks like a BMW i8 and a phone, like it in, in a screen. It looks cool as shit. It does fit the kind of the PlayStation aesthetic of this generation. I just wish that the controller parts of this device didn't look as much like the DualSense as they did. Like the idea that it does literally just look like a DualSense that's been snapped in half and a screen glued in the middle. It annoys me for some reason. Oh, I liked. Okay, that's interesting. I liked that. I I was going to get annoyed if they brought out something that looks different and didn't have the functionality. But the fact that they're like, no, no, this isn't like a mini controller that's not that's annoying and fiddly. Like when you take the side off the switch and you try and play two player with the switch controls, and you're like, this stupid little controller. This yeah. is chunky. You can hold on to it. You can get. You can get involved. But yeah, but no, you're right. 
you're right, aren't you? Yeah. It's it's a it's a product for no one. It, yeah, I, and I think the attach rate for this is going to be incredibly low, and I think it's also just a another very strange step in an odd direction for PlayStation when it comes to hardware, given how much of a misfire the PlayStation VR two looks to have been with hindsight. You know, a product that I just feel like I haven't heard anyone talking about since the week it came out, nor have I heard of, like of a PSVR two game you have to play since that Horizon game came out. Uh, you know, at the launch of the PSVR 2. I don't really know what their strategy is. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read some sort of critical uh, articles about the VR 2, um, just in the sense of like, yeah, it's cool, it looks good, but who's it for and what's it for? Yeah. Because there's no games for it. Um, totally. There's, there's nothing to, to make it. I, I think Sony are... Do you know, th- this, is, this and the VR 2 kind of at this point feel a little bit like uh, throwing, you know, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks with regard to like this modern um, generation, and it's right. it sound it seems a little bit like high up big wigs in a room trying to come up with cool ideas and cool concepts and things and go well, let's do this. What can we work? So, for example, let's talk the cloud streaming. The fact that you can't stream um, to this uh, cloud stream games to this yeah. totally totally makes sense. You don't you know you don't want to have to have a UI that may, means that you can cloud stream to the device itself, but then you say. Okay, so but can't you cloud stream to the PlayStation Five and then stream from the PlayStation Five to the portal? Sure, yep. And you have to wonder if that its compound latency is making is basically makes that unplayable. Yeah. And so yeah. they could make Very that work, point. but they're like this. The experience is so bad that they've they've not they're not doing it because it's just bad. That's a great. I hadn't even thought about that compound compound latency. That's a great point. Um, yeah. It just just makes it even weirder, and like maybe they to go back to your point, maybe, like maybe they are in a position to throw shit at the wall to see what sticks, because their opinion is that like we nailed the one part of a generation you need to nail to be successful, which is the console. We did the we did the we did a good job. We marketed the right way. We found our audience. It's selling at the rate that we want it to, if not better. And we can maybe take risks in other places, or maybe half our stuff in other places. Like maybe this is a weird way of Sony saying like we can afford to not go as mental as Xbox have gone um, and just kind of like make something that satisfies some criteria, but not all the criteria and see what we learn from it. And then maybe the follow-up to the PlayStation portal ends up being the thing that, you know, makes a lot more sense and they take their learnings from this and improve. I, I, I don't know, but it's, that's not ultimately con- the consumer's issue, but it's still fascinating to, to think about. Wh- yeah, no, it is. But what's bizarre to me is, you're right. PlayStation have already won the the uh, hardware war against mm. Xbox at the, uh, the you know at this point where before they got to the the VR two and the uh, the portal. Just drop like another three amazing first party games, and you would have won the generation at this point so far. Yeah, like, just, just come out with some absolutely kick ass trailers for some insane first party games, like new IPs that people are hyped to play in the same way that like Ghost of Tsushima. Last of Us Part Two, like I mean, they they are gonna do that with Spider Man Two. Like Spider Man Two sure. is coming, that's gonna be wicked. Um, but they, uh, do they, if they'd have done that two or three times over, that would be so much better than a PlayStation Portal or a VR yeah. Two. I agree, I agree. And they could, the funny thing is, as we're reminded of constantly all the time, they could have faked it. Like I love the <laughs> idea of protecting studios when things aren't ready and certain things aren't you know in a position where they can be shown or revealed or what have you. But Todd Howard obviously was at Gamescom this past week uh, on Starfield promotional purposes, Starfield promotional purposes, and was 
perhaps unsurprisingly, asked once again about The Elder Scrolls VI, the game that they're making after Starfield, that at this point was announced over five years ago. And he's still kind of like coy as to whether or not he genuinely believes it was announced at the wrong time. Like, I think he said something like, I wish we'd been a bit more casual in the way that we'd announced it or something like that. Right. But it's like, no, people obviously want Elder Scrolls. But the fact is, five years later, it's still on people's radar. They're still talking about it. It didn't get leaked before they could announce it. People actually, even in the long run, don't mind if you make fucking bullshit video game announcements like a decade before they're ready is what I'm getting at. No, they don't. They don't. As long as they, they want, they want the endorphin rush that happens at E3 when they 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 the endorphin rush of the of that logo more often than not outweighs the pain of waiting for you know Metro Prime Four or whatever it is. But it's, what doesn't make sense is it's not even that right. You it, you could do the like you can do the reveal and get the endorphin rush, but it almost adds to it if you then take seven eight years to get a game out every E3. All you need to do is put out another kick ass trailer. And then and include gameplay, and then include some more gameplay, and then you get they get the endorphin rush every time, and everyone gets even more excited every time, and you haven't actually got to deliver until like seven or well, eight years down the line. Most of the time, it depends how uh, spaced out these events are, because we can all remember um, circa twenty twenty ish when I think Deathloop just had one too many trailers at one too many state of plays, and people were like, "Yeah, we get it." I mean, do it once. Pick a big event every year. It doesn't have to be the same event. Pick one big event every year and just slide in another trailer and the people will just lose their minds. And then don't go Deathloop crazy. Just, just you know, <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, just eke it out. I'd, I'd be in favour it because, you know me, like the the, lo- the logo rush is real. Yeah, and it is. I, I, was, I was disappointed back in June at that last PlayStation showcase, but Lord knows if they'd had... A, a really quickly mocked up logo for a video game that's not coming out for 17 years. I probably <laughs> would have cried, came and shit myself at the same time and, and been a lot happier overall. Imagine any, any, <laughs> any game, new IP uh, that sh- you're like, oh, what's this? This is interesting. This is a bit of a logo and a bit of a, like a, a maybe the, a couple of lines as if it's the opening to a story, to a cinematic and then it just goes fade to black and then comes up with a Naughty Dog tra- uh, logo. So simple. So and, simple. You've, and everyone is going to go insane. It's the new Naughty Dog IP. Who cares yeah. what it is? Who cares what it's called? You've just, you've just made everyone shit themselves because of how excited they are, you know, in the, in the auditorium and at home. Happy like just, just, just hire a voice actor. Just say to Troy Baker, yeah. like, get your, fo- get your phone out, get the voice notes app, app up. And hit record, and then just say, "Do you really want to do this one more time, kiddo?" And then we'll just <laughs> no, no, you can't do that. He's got to go another yeah, way. You know, no, 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 that's what we're gonna do. And then at the next PlayStation, we're gonna have a black screen, and we're gonna play that noise, and then have a naughty dog logo. PNG is going to fade on screen and then fade off, and you, you just have the biggest event of the year. Yeah, exactly. And the, and this gonna do more for you than the PlayStation Portal is gonna do with your descriptors about you know. Oh, it's going to do this, and it's going to work like this, and it's going to do that. Like again, I, again, I, I'm, I hope I'm wrong. It's a cool bit of kit, but I'm with you. I think it's. I don't. I don't know who that is for. You're hoping you're wrong. I know that you're right, and I think that the real problem here is that there are video game marketing teams, PR teams, trailer teams, you name it, around the world, screaming out for the type of ingenuity 
and forward thinking that we bring to the table, as we just illustrated. And the fact that we are sat here not pulling the strings on the future of first party uh, and you know first party studio releases from PlayStation, like I, I think I think it's, a, it's a criminal. I agree. I agree. Hey, I used to feel the same way when we used to get to pitch ideas for, uh, you know, ad- like games things back in the day. And we used to get to, our ideas got shot down. And I used to think it's, it's a mistake. It's a, one it's day a mistake. someone, someone is going to send a, a link to this podcast to jim.ryan at playstation.com. And he's going to sit there and go, Oh, what are these guys are talking about? <laughs> uh, don't ask me why he sounds like a beetle. He just does. And, um, and our lives and the lives of PlayStation fans will change forever. Um, but for the time being, Jonesy, rather than changing the lives of PlayStation fans, let's aim, um, not necessarily lower, but let's uh, tighten our crosshair just a little bit and aim to improve the lives of Super Show fans by giving them access or the opportunity to access a whole range of content, the likes of which they never even imagined existed unless they've listened to a single episode of this podcast before, in which case you have heard us talk about it and you've chosen to... Uh, not partake, which is fine. That's your choice. And it's the choice offered to you by Patreon. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash super show. And what you can do when you head over there is check out the incredible range of goodies that we give away at various tiers, depending at which level you pledge. For example, you get you can get access to our Discord server. You can get access to Patreon-exclusive content, Patreon-exclusive videos, Patreon-exclusive podcasts, all kinds of things there, whether you're pledging $2, $5, $10 a month, there's something for you. So by all means, please do, if you feel implored, go and check out patreon.com forward slash super show. And never let it be said that Jonesy and I are resting on our laurels when it comes to creating patron exclusive content or coming up with ideas for said content. Because one of the benefits of being um, an independent podcast that is entirely funded and made possible by Patreon is you can come up with you know, stupid, ridiculous ideas that no one would ever actually watch or listen to in real life, but you can still do it for your own entertainment under the guise of Patreon content. And that's something we were talking about just before, Jonesy, because um, we were coming up with ways to honour the timeless career of Hollywood superstar Mr. Jim Carrey, weren't we? Oh, we were indeed. Um, yeah, I don't know where this came from, but we we were talking about... Uh an exciting piece of Patreon content that we would both definitely be up for, which was um, um, we would like the lovely viewers out there to suggest five Jim Carrey films, or not not individually five, but to collectively uh, the top five most requested Jim Carrey films. Jamie and I then over the next few weeks will watch all five and then we'll do a piece of Patreon exclusive content where we will discuss the five Jim Carrey films because um, we're both Jim Carrey fans. And we were talking about the fact that, you know, he was an absolute, monster of comedy yeah um oh you know not as much these days gone off uh not doing as much i guess he's done so much in the past he doesn't have to but um yeah we thought it'd be be fun didn't we yeah and i guess that is the incredibly low bar we set for ourselves on patreon nowadays it starts as a conversation about an actor in some of his films it turns into a weird sort of like like appreciation ritual for him which then turns into hey why don't we just record this and turn it into patreon content um, so like Josie said, if you want an opportunity to um, help make that possible and, and in turn also be a part of it, uh, maybe on the Discord, maybe on social media, maybe on YouTube, wherever um, you see fit, let us know your top Jim Carrey movies and we'll put together a little top five and you can keep an eye out for 
I don't even know what the fuck we're going to call it. The Jim Carrey <laughs> Appreciation Hour um, coming to a podcast feed near you. Certain people will already have access to that content because they are already pledging their support to us over on patreon.com. And I thought this would actually be a great opportunity to show our appreciation and our thanks to the fine people that have already gone over to that link and helped us on our way. There are some names of some of those individuals on screen right now, so a huge shout-out to all of them. But I also want to give a personal shout-out to Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Cold K, Ice Not Rock Salt, Jesper Camdal Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Pastors Guild. And then, of course, we have the big dogs, the head honchos, Brett Z, a.k.a. Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Read, Manuel Guerrero, Peaswad, and Jim Carey. Ah, oh, weird. I don't know where he popped up from. Clearly a massive fan. Um, in fact, there's actually, he always sent us a DM. Hey guys, love your content so much. Been watching for years. Shame the podcast got so much worse when Chris left, but I'm sticking with you. Um, thanks, Jim. Uh, it means a lot. In fact, thank you all the patrons. I've just, something's just weirded me out. So, because Jim is obviously short for James. Yes. And potentially, yeah. And so his name is James Carey. Is it actually? Would you? Or just, so in fact, it is James Carey. You're right. That's weird. Shit. James Eugene Carey. So James, James, and I have the same first name. Yeah, yeah. That's not that unusual. And it's even. I don't, I don't know. I, I think the fact that neither of us actually go by James just kind of makes it even less. I tell you, what, I was. Really. I have that with um, celebs. Is like if you just called them by their first name. Uh, it's it's odd. So, for example, I always heard this. I can't remember who said it. Um, I was listening to an actor talk about films and they were talking about Samuel L. Jackson and they just call him Sam. And they were saying, yeah, me and Sam were doing this. And I was thinking, who the hell is Sam? And it's like, because yep. you don't, yeah, you know him. You wouldn't refer to him as Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. A lot of people call Robert De Niro Bob. Bob, yes. Yeah. yeah which is strange. Very and, strange. Do, do, do you want another one, a weird one that I thought would sound weird? And so I looked it up to see if it's real and it is. Go on. Thomas, Thomas Cruise. Oh yeah, that is weird, Thomas. Just, that is just not right. Like you Thomas. would not meet him and say Thomas. Good to meet you. But also, his- not even his real name. Cruz is his middle name, and his surname is Mapother the Fourth. Mapother, Mapother, M A P O O T H E R. Mapother. Thomas Mapother the Fourth. Yeah, is he from like fancy aristocracy or something? Thomas Mapother the Fourth. The Fourth seems. That seems like a fancy British thing like you'd do, but maybe not actually. Maybe it's his, his his dad was an electrical engineer and his mother was a special education teacher. And they were both from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, okay. with English, German, and Irish ancestry. All right. That's <laughs> the background for Thomas yeah. Cruz. Thomas hey, Math Mother the Fourth. Never let it be said that we don't educate people on this podcast when it comes to the full names and the origins of the most famous celebrities around. Tom Cruise, undoubtedly going to get his own Patreon-exclusive podcast after Jim Carrey's out of the way. But Jonesy, before you embark on a marathon of watching uh, the latest and greatest hits from some of Hollywood superstars, what have you been spending your last week of freedom when it comes to multimedia doing? Um, Okay, I'm going to do something which we sort of said we wouldn't do, um, <laughs> Here we go. Purely because, uh, you know, I don't want to bore people, but I would like to give a little um, shout out to a game that came out a while ago now. Um, it's got to be, what, two years old now? Um, it Super Takes American Two. Oh. 
It Takes Two came out a couple of years ago. I finally finished it. Me and the wife oh. eventually got around to sitting down and uh, finishing that game. And it is, we'd, we'd done like mo- like a lot of it. I think we were two thirds away through and we were like, come on, we really need to do it because we both really like it. But with kids, it makes it hard to actually like, you know, find the time to, to do it. It that turns game, out the it, name is It Takes Two, not It Takes Four. Yes, exactly. Um, but it, right to the end, that game is as charming and as enjoyable. And I, I just, yeah, fantastic game. If you haven't played it, and one of those ones that you thought, oh, I might play that. I might get someone to come and play that game with me. Or I've, I've got a new other half and I've, you know, suddenly got someone to play It Takes Two with. What a great time to delve back it a couple of years and pick it up. Um, yeah, uh, loved it. Thought it was great. Good, awesome. Yeah. Good message, Very good, good game. game. Very inventive. Yes, um, it, the way that it sort of utilizes loads of different mechanics, loads of different styles of levels, etc. And I thought it was um, thought it was fantastic. Like right to the end. Uh, the only other thing I was going to mention was that I finally made it back to the most pain in the arse show to watch um, that we have over here in the UK. So Attack on Titan, which I've liked for a long time, um, I bought. This is what I think I've griped about this before. I bought on Amazon, um, like video and so that I could watch it so I could um, you know not it's not on prime it's not free you had to actually pay for it it then disappeared you can't watch it so even though I've paid money for it real monies because Mm. it's one of these things that we always think oh I own that now you don't really own it it got taken off Amazon couldn't watch it I've bitten the bullet I went and downloaded Crunchyroll and signed up and I've nearly finished the entirety of the four seasons of Attack on Titan and was just reminded how wicked that uh, that whole series is and I've enjoyed playing the games. I've enjoyed um, watching the series. And now that I'm pretty much finished, I've loved it and think it's fantastic and well worth, you know, the 14 day yeah. free trial period on Crunchyroll if you have Well, I was going to say, I'm glad it's held up because sometimes, you know, when there's a big gap between when you started watching something and when you can get back to it or when you watch something over an extended period of time, you know, it doesn't maybe always age gracefully or getting back to it isn't as cathartic as you made it out to be. I'm glad that uh, I started it again. True. You started from the beginning. I went right back to the beginning. I was like, and I had to. I, there's no way that I could. It's been like two years or something. So I was like, I've got to do it all again. Um, but those guys, it's still as weird as ever and as shouty. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, fantastic. I've, I've never seen it, but I've just got images burned in my head of extremely large naked men with the weirdest smiles and grins. Uh, I, yes. Context, I don't know, but presumably it's the co- yeah, the context is they're just mindless eating machines, and they, they, if they catch you, they eat you. They eat you. I can relate. Yeah, that's what they do. Um, one thing that I was really hoping and has paid off massively, so especially not just in the fourth season, but the end of the third season, was are we going to find out what the hell is going on? Because often in the, this day and age, sometimes you don't. You don't find out the you know the, the the backstory. You don't find out where it came from. You don't find out any of that sort of stuff. You do in Attack on Titan. They they go deep into the lore and the story and where stuff's come from and what the hell the Titans are, what the walls are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. In a way that like doesn't shit all over the fact that you've been enjoying it for the past however many seasons, in a way that kind of like... Because sometimes like you get the explanation for something that was a mystery and you're like, actually, I preferred the mystery, you know? Uh, there is a little bit of that. Um, okay. I, yeah, I, I feel like it could have been a bit more but I'm, I'm perfectly happy with what they've done it, mm. it, it, it's not it, it fits with everything else it's not like they've suddenly come out of left field 
Like there's other things right. that have happened and you're like, oh, okay. I yet. I, well, to be fair, the whole thing, they obviously knew what they were doing. It wasn't like a attacked on bit of exposition. It's like, it totally flows with the story, but yeah, it, it, it could have been a little different, but then that's like, we always say yeah. it could have just been a different story. If, if it was a different story, it'd be a different story. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Plus like claiming, you knowing, claiming you knew what you were doing from the very beginning you know, we we were talking about the Matrix trilogy uh, not that long ago, and like the extent to which that's ever actually true can be drawn into question at times. Um, uh, yes, that <laughs> absolutely. The question, though, for now, though, on on everyone's lips, Jonesy, is seeing as you have uh, for at least a little while longer, I'd imagine, even if it is a matter of days, a Crunchyroll subscription with your name on it. A, are you now a weeb? And B, are you going to start another anime series before you go? I. Th- I might do. I'm not mm. a weeb, but I might do. I'll see. I don't know. I need some suggestions. I don't know what's what's um, up there. I know I everyone's going to be I, like I, One Punch Man. And, um, what's the other They're going to say One Punch Man. They're going to say One Piece. One Piece. They're going to say Naruto. Um, they're going to say Neon Genesis Evangelion. They're going to say... You are totally <sighs> lost me now. I'm well uh, out. Something uh, like an, something like Attack on Titan. I don't want stupid, like endless, annoying characters. Even though some of the Attack on Titan people definitely fit that. Um, like I like a story, a narrative, intrigue, oh. a bit of mystery, something like that. Yeah. I, I I do. I'm not being facetious. I, I don't, when it comes to anime, I'm like I've been told off enough at this point by people on the online. I there are definitely animes. I'm sure that will tick that criteria. Like we, especially we we've all seen like. At a certain point, saying you don't like anime is just having a, like a weird uh, issue with either animation of a certain style or animation from a certain part of the world because it says nothing of the kind of the genres it can cover or the kind of stories it can tell, right? Because right. fucking hell, as soon as Netflix get involved and make like an anime based on Cyberpunk or Castlevania, then all of a sudden these people who have been calling other people online weebs for generations are like, oh, actually anime is good. It's like, no, like it just so happened that a company that you've heard of made an anime based on a property that you knew or knew about already. Like you still feel the same way about anime. Yes. No, absolutely. Completely. Didn't mean to go on an anime tangent, but although we're not going to get a million miles away from overzealous and overdramatic Japanese storytelling, (laughs) Jonesy, um, because uh, in a shock to what might come as a shock to some people, certainly came as a shock to myself. I have been playing Armored Core 6. Fires of Rubicon. Um, I'm a little uh, surprised. I'll be honest. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, but, but like, I, 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 I don't know if you, this kind of speaks to you at all, because I know you and I have like pretty similar feelings uh, when it comes to From Software's other releases in recent years, in what the ones we've tried, the ones we haven't, the ones we've been convinced to purchase and and gone into, you know, open with open with an open heart and an open mind and usually come out feeling betrayed on both fronts. <laughs> but there was something about this where I was, I kept watching, we'd seen all the trailers, obviously, and all the previews up to release, but kept watching reviews and, and in some cases even watching streams. And I was like, there's something about this that kind of speaks to me. And even though there are still some, you know, what people might identify as sort of like from software ideas or certainly from software DNA present in this, it does still seem to very much be an Armored Core game. And I've got no history with Armored Core. And so that's, interesting to me as something that is both new but also from what i understand more accessible than it's ever been before especially when it comes to you know elements like controls and game structure and so on and so forth and the the the, the takeaway from me at the moment is i'm i'm having a really 
really good time with it. Um, I've enjoyed. This is going to blow some people's minds, and Chris <laughs> is going to probably shed a tear. I've enjoyed my first three or four hours with Armored Core more than I enjoyed my first three or four hours with Elden Ring. Um, I don't, but that that doesn't sound that surprising to me, to be honest. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. No, but I think and, it probably is to, to FromSoft people, but as people who, as some, yeah, someone else who's not as into that style of game. I don't find those games enjoyable in the first hour. I, I feel like you have to stick with them for 20, 30 hours before they start True. to get enjoyable. And so I'm not that surprised that a game like Armored Core can sort of break yeah. that. Um, what, so one, my first question is, a lot of what I've, I've read and, and, and heard is Armored Core is hard, like hard as shit. So this is the part that I'm also going to break script on. Um, I, I, I'm not particularly far. For anyone that's played the, uh, the game, I am... I, I, I've, I'm at the end of chapter one, so, um, but I'm still kind of like, like I, I put it this way: I have done a, a, a fair hand, a fair few missions, a, a few handfuls of missions. I have fought a number of bosses. I have not hit a wall, anything like what I've hit in previous From Software games. Okay, and I think there's something about it which is that, like, First of all, like when we talked about how sort of like accessible and approachable they've made Armored Core, even compared to something like Elden Ring, which is always sort of like held up as the most approachable from software game because, you know, it had the open world sort of element, which meant that you could literally run away from obstacles. <laughs> yeah, go the other way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Armored Core doesn't have that. But what Armored Core does have is the fact that it's not, you know, a, a, like a, a third person melee combat focused action game. It's a third-person mech game that has far more in common with third-person shooters that you and I would have played a lot more of right. than, like, you're not, like, like fighting an enemy the way you're kind of, like, trying to figure out what frame their sword is going to make an impact with your skull so you can time the world's fast roll. Like, you're a fucking <laughs> mech. Like, you're flying around a battlefield shooting two machine guns and two rocket launchers at once. 99% of the enemies in Armored Core, outside of the bosses or mini-bosses, like, die super quickly. There are missions in this game, like the, there were entire missions in this game and entire chunks of this game that even the most beginner gamers, people with just the most foundation, foundational elements of like third person shooter understanding will complete without even having to heal, let alone like right. dying and having to quit. It doesn't feel like it's designed to be that same uh, kind of, it doesn't feel like it wants to teach you lessons in death through death in the same way that their previous games have. Um, and as such, there's not as much punishment on death. You know, you're not collecting a resource that you drop when you die. You're not then going on corpse runs where that resource disappears forever if you die again. This is a game with checkpoints. This is a game that, like, a boss that I fought earlier today, before I went out into to fight it, not only did it checkpoint it, they, they, they gave me a care package that restored all my health and all my heals and all my ammo. It's like, there's some, like, un from software-like elements to this. There are tutorials that take place in these virtual missions, virtual missions that like teach you all the game's mechanics and then reward you with components to, to attach to build onto your armored core as like for completing them. Like there's a, a lot going on here that feels like a lot more my speed in, in difficulty terms than previous games have. And that's not to say it doesn't get hard. There are boss fights. And when you, when you're in the middle of them, you're like, Oh, I remember who made this game now. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. But no, it's, I'm I'm with you though. In that the, the, for me, it's nothing to like. It's not that FromSoft games are hard. It's nothing to do with how hard they are. It's the fact of like they are hard, um, but they don't. But then you, they don't. You can just 
grind and cheese and then you can eventually get to a point where you can do it. Yeah. And I'm like, but I don't, yeah, I would much, I don't care if a game's hard. It's just that I don't want it to be a grind to play. And it sounds like this is much more my, yeah, I, I would agree. It sounds like it's much more my speed in the sense of this fun to be had in the getting yeah. better and the improving and the learning as opposed to like, oh, you've just died for the 50th time against the boss. Because I get, you know, in a, in a, like a Demon Souls or whatever it is. Yeah. I have, I have, so I have died. I have restarted a mission. But like, there was a boss, there's a boss that you fight fairly early on. I think it's called the Juggernaut. And it's this uh, minor spoilers for chapter one of Armored Core six, but um, it is this massive, like, tank like enemy um, that also has tank like mobility, but is slightly faster. And also, in Armored Core, tanks can drift, which right. kind of, um, but its main weak point is that it's behind it. And getting behind it is really difficult if you kind of uh, stay at a distance. And staying at a distance is what you kind of feel inclined to do a lot in Armored Core because when you are not sprinting, but when you press B, you go into this boost mode. And you might have seen that. That's when there are like jet streams coming off like the feet, depending on if you're a good or bipedal Armored Core. Um, and you're, it's almost like you're drifting. It almost feels like what other games feel like when they're doing an ice skating or a roller skating mode. Like right. that's what the momentum of that feels like. And when you combine that with locking onto an enemy, all of a sudden doing circles around them makes so much sense because it's like you're ice skating around them and shooting at the same time. But then this was an enemy where it's like, well, if you do that, it can rotate faster than you can rotate around it. Right. Well, faster than you can orbit around it. So to get close, you're going to have to go at it. You might have to boost and go up over it and stuff like that because the mobility options in this game are kind of crazy. Like you can like fly around in any which direction. And, uh, and like, so that was one boss fight that I'd seen a streamer um, die at like four or five times before I started watching it. I defeated him the first time I fought him and had two heals left. Nice. And I'm, I'm, I'm not good at these games. I just think it makes more sense to me than Elden Ring did for some reason. I, so I have seen some clips and, I, and your explanation as well. Does it, is there sometimes it feels a little bit like, do you remember Vanquish? Which I absolutely loved. No. Which was, so that was a, uh, you had this ability to drift slide um, and it was like yeah. a run shoot, running shooter game. And it, yeah, some of, the, some of the stuff I've seen and, and your description made me think, I wonder if it feels a little like that with how mobile you can be. And I absolutely, I loved that game. I thought the game was fantastic. I, I honestly, like, Vanquish was cool and there are maybe some, like, aesthetic elements that are comparable to Vanquish, but, like, the mobility doesn't feel, doesn't like, feel like Vanquish. No, right. like, you feel somehow, despite being in a 10-meter-tall mech, again, depending on your armored core, because, of course, there's this whole element of when you complete missions, because this isn't an open-world game or even a semi-open-world game, it's mission-based, pick a mission off a list, go there, do it, Mission ends, fade to black, pick another mission. Right. You get rewarded credits, you spend them on components, and you build your own armored core. Um, and that could be everything like from like there are bipedal armor cores that kind of walk around. Um, then you can get like tripedal or ones with four legs, and the benefit they have is that they can hover in midair. Um, there are ones with a with, with a tank base where the legs are actually replaced with a tank. Um okay. all kinds of things like assault rifles and machine guns and shotguns and rocket launchers and laser guns, different types of damage. You have two shoulder-mounted weapons, two hand weapons, and they are on the triggers and shoulder buttons, respectively. Um, and so if you go for, like, a really light um, AAC build, and there are also ones that have, like, inverted knee joints, almost like some animals do. Oh, yeah. Um, or insects do, um, because it means you can, like, they can jump higher and jump faster and stuff like that. Like some of the, some of the mobility in this is like really 
like it, it feels fluid in a way that like actually I think I'm not going to say it would put Vanquish to shame, but like when you watch an Armored Core gameplay trailer and you see it, like, as I said, almost like it's gliding around the environment and like seamlessly taking off and then firing in midair. And then like all that stuff feels the way it looks like it should when you watch those gameplay videos and gameplay trailers. Um, Which is such an important aspect of like, and it's not surprising FromSoft have pulled it off. Like they are masters of combat. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. And I, I, I fully expect that I'm, you know, I'm a third of the way through the game there or thereabouts. I know I'm going to hit a wall. I understand that. I know there are going to be bosses that frustrate me, but I, from what I understand, I've already made it past a few, what I've been considered pinch points for some other players. Um, certainly like in from software fashion, there is a boss battle at the end of what is essentially the tutorial mission that I found harder than the boss. I fought, you know, eight or nine missions later. Right. Um, but 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 like a lot of things in from software games, its difficulty is usually there to teach you something. And a lot of the times in this game, it's about like, hey, put it this way: when you start the game, there's a reason you're forced to use an armored core that has a like a a blade or a melee attack on its build, even if you can immediately drop that as soon as you want. And it's because the game wants to teach you, like, hey, being close to someone and attacking them with your melee weapon is sometimes more important and more viable. Um, than you know, keeping your distance and having like long range weaponry, right. even if that's ultimately what you want to do when you have the ability to completely build your AC from scratch. Um, I talked a lot there, but I, it made a stronger impression on me than I thought it would. So I just wanted to give it a shout out. I apologize. No, nice. It's, it's good to hear. It's one of those where I've se- the footage I've seen of it. I'm like, I don't think I want to play it, but hearing you talk about it makes me think. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe at some point in the future when it's like come down in price and it's on a bit of a sale or something. Totally. Like that. Totally. Like if it's ever on sale or, or for free on a certain service, especially like people who ha- haven't been converted to from software yet. Like, and if, if you're watching those trailers and thinking there's something here that might be for me, then, then that's, you know, consider it, consider it. Um, you know, it's not like there's anything coming out in September that, um, that people <laughs> are looking to or, or want to play. Right. Jonesy. Absolutely. Um, Speaking of the game, of the, <laughs> if you did want to play some of the games that are coming out in September, and maybe you did want to put your Armored Core 6 money to one side and wait for a game that may or may not be coming out on, well, September the 6th for us regular plebs, maybe even earlier if you're going to go fancy and buy deluxe versions of the games, the only piece of advice that I would give you is try not to buy it from an individual who has stolen it. Because um, <laughs> that is something that happened, Jonesy, in the past week. Uh, with Starfield, which is the game I was not so subtly referring to. Although, before we get to the matter of stolen property and the Shelby County, Tennessee Sheriff's Office, uh, I'm going to skip right to the fact that us gamers care about, which is that the individual who ended up getting an early copy of Starfield decided to share the love with the rest of the world online and leaked footage of the highly anticipated open-world sci-fi RPG. Um, So on August 22nd, about five days ago, footage originally went viral, Jonesy, no prizes for guessing the fact that the first Starfield footage or significant Starfield footage to leak online was uh, vertical and grainy footage set uh, filmed on um, a mobile phone. Naturally, though, it then got reposted around various social media sites. And even after it got taken down uh, on YouTube, obviously, for copyright infringement, there was a 60-second clip on Imager that was viewed over one million times. Did you catch any of this action? Uh, I didn't know, but uh, at the same time, like I, I feel like 
these when this happens, I'm like, I don't want to see it. Like, I'm not interested in seeing a shit version of um, that, you know, opening parts of that game. I'll wait a week and a half and see it as it's supposed to be when I play it like, on Game Pass. Like, I, I totally get, like, if you want to see it, like, I'm not telling people they shouldn't, but I, I find it odd that some people would, who are anticipating that game would go, do you know what? I want to see it as crap as I possibly can. Right. In what grainy about- mobile footage. What if it's just about seeing it in general, right? Like you're someone who has already made the decision, even though Game Pass means it's not a huge purchasing decision, that you're going to play this game. What if there are people out there who are like, I just want to see what this game looks like because that's the way my brain works. Like I I remember when GTA V was about to come out um, almost 10 years ago now, and Rockstar was so, so, so coy about um, showing off that game at all outside of their own official trailers that I'd never just seen... What the game like? What it looked like when someone ran around? I, I, I feel like I already know. Thinking. We've already seen so much of it. Like we've already seen more than their show. I, I get that this is something we haven't seen, but we've already seen what the game looks like. I don't know. I don't know what I could but get you have, from you. This. Haven't seen someone pick up a controller and just say, "Right, I'm playing Starfield." This is the pace of the game. This is what I'm doing moment to moment. This is what the combat looks like when it's not orchestrated. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's fair. But then, uh, then I, 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 I suppose. <sighs> If I'm going to watch like a leaker do that and it, the footage isn't great, then at the same time, I'm like, I don't really know if I'm getting a fair, if I'm seeing at least what's a fair slice of that game anyway. Like, I don't know to what end. I don't know what build. I don't know what they're playing on. Like, it's so many different things that are going to kind of come into question. I, I, there was a little part of me, if this was, if we went back six months and, you, and this had happened, then I'd be a lot more likely to like watch it. But given the fact that it's coming out so soon, I don't know. Like when the embargo is going to be up for the reviews, it's not going to be like that long. Um, I'd rather wait for that. Yeah, you're right. I think the review embargo is uh, three or four days away at this point. Right. Very close. Um, but again, that's not to say that if anyone else, if, uh, I'm not saying, oh, oh, you people out there shouldn't watch it. I totally, if people want to watch it, I'm someone who completely try like ignores anything to do with games that I'm interested in playing in the weeks leading up to them coming out just because I don't want any I don't want any inkling of spoiler or of um, you know ruining anything I want to I want to go in fresh and, and be excited for the game um, I get you I just think that there's a, a line can be drawn before the point of spoiler uh, but still past the point of kind of like additional and sometimes even valuable knowledge about what the game just looks like I, 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 I guess it's oh yeah no I agree I do agree with you I do agree with that yeah Games look different when they're just being played. And when you've never seen a game just be played, um, sometimes that you get this kind of, I get this itch almost like where I'm like, I I just need to see someone just run around with no real purpose. Uh, See, uh, yes, but I get that. I'll get that when the embargo's up and I can watch reviews of people playing it. Yeah. And they'll be playing it. Like, I, I don't know. It just, again, it's someone leaking a small section of that game. I'm like, I don't, uh, to what end as well? Like, also, why yeah. have they done it on, why have they just filmed it on a phone? Like, they could have done a screen well, capture and uploaded it, which is a bit weird. I, I, I get the impression that this was an individual who was not the most literate when it came to video games or video game capturing. Right. Um, the, there's a lot of information and, and uh, you know, reading between the lines, I guess, misinformation about how this individual sort of came to get the game and, like, what, sort of line of work they were potentially in and so on and so forth. What we do know is that about four days after the 45 minutes of footage was originally posted online, uh, Darren Harris is the name of the person we're talking about, was processed by the Shelby County, Tennessee Sheriff's Office. Um, 
office uh, uh, information on the, their website lists a felony charge for $2,500 to $10,000 worth of stolen property in addition to a, um, a misdemeanor charge um, for uh, possession of marijuana and another misdemeanor charge for $1,000 or less of stolen property. What the uh, pe- what people online have suggested was that this person worked at a retailer or a distributor or something like that and right. basically was uh, nicking stuff kind of as it was making its way from A to B. Uh, they had a – one of the things that didn't help their cause, even if they hadn't been uploading footage of Starfield online – was that they had a um, a store page, I guess, up on a Japanese e-commerce platform called Mercari, where they were selling a bunch of things. They were selling copies of the game. They were selling Constellation Edition copies of the game. And I had a look at this page myself before it was wiped. They had other random things, like, funny you mentioned it earlier, they had, like, a stack of, like, 20 sealed copies of It Takes Two. Right. So... Um, uh, it seems like someone who, again, like works, I don't know if they work in like packaging and distribution, shipping, retailers, whatever, but like they took a card home bo- cardboard, cardboard box home one day and opened it up and it had, you know, 10 copies of Starfield in it. Um, it's, although- it's, it's funny that I, I was just thinking, I suppose it depends on the game as well. Like as I, if I'd want to see someone playing, like, and Starfield isn't one I'd want to see, because I'm like, look, it's going to look a bit jank in places but it's probably going to feel real good to play. If you said it was, cool. if it was GTA six, I might be like, cause I have much less of a handle on what that game's actually going to look and feel and play like. And I, and I feel like there'd be so much more that you could discover just watching someone run around for the first 45 minutes. Like, I don't feel like you could learn anything in the first 45 minutes of Starfield. It's going to be a lot of chatting. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of walking around and going, Oh, hello. Who are you? Blah, 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 blah. And it, I don't think you're going to learn much about that game and about how it feels to play and interact with the world. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I haven't seen it. Maybe there's more. No, I, 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 but, I think um, that's fair enough. I mean, that seems to be what a lot of people were saying is that it starts slow and then gets incredibly dense, incredibly quickly. That right. seems to be the vibe for Starfield at the moment. Which is the least surprising thing ever is that there's a lot of chat until they get you into a, uh, yeah, like a cool environment to actually like experience space. And then, then you're going to yeah. be, go and explore the galaxy. And you'll be like, okay. Yeah. Well, it's, Jones, it's funny you mentioned exploring the galaxy, because um, I wanted to pick your brain on, on one other kind of thing that has got the internet rumbling um, over the past couple of days after an image uh, leaked online of someone showing a warning or a miss, a system, like a, a, an in game message that appears on players' heads-up displays when they have walked too far in a certain direction that essentially essentially tells them they have reached the terrain limit um, of that planet. Um, Which we talked about. Yeah, now some people are under the impression that every planet is fully explorable, and and that by extension, that means that if you you land on a planet, got out of your ship, and put a rubber rubber, rubber band around the left analog stick to have it walking forward... Your character could walk forward for hundreds of hours until they eventually looped back around to their spaceship. We now know that this is not the case, and that after around 40 minutes of walking, you will reach a limit to the terrain. However, um, that. Well, uh, what I will say is for anyone panicking, having heard that, that this game isn't going to be as big as um, you worried it might be, don't panic. There are a lot of asterisks to this. But if I, rather unfairly, Jonesy, got your gut feeling about that being something that was in, in the game at the moment uh, before I explain what's actually going on um, 
What's, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? I couldn't give me thoughts. You could, give couldn't give less of a shit. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I remember when we talked about this at the time, and, and I think you raised the, I think you even used a similar analogy. If I put a rubber band around my stick, could I walk from city A to city B? Like, are they actually physically uh, yeah. in, in these physical positions? Or is it that was I load down, you know, from the uh, from space into the atmosphere, into the planet's surface? Am I loading in a city? And then I take off and fly around the planet and go to another city. And I think at the time we both said, I do not care at all if you can physically walk from city A to city B. Um, that That is not something. I think we even said about the fact of the very fact that you can't fly through the atmosphere yourself and that it's like a cutscene. Yeah. Or that there's testament. no like, ground-based vehicles, for example. Yeah, it's, it's, it's testament to that fact of that's not what this game is. And I and we've talked about it before with games. When that when it is not selling itself as a as a... Uh, no Man's Sky, where you can seamlessly transition and you can walk around an entire planet, and you can—that's not what it is. This has got, um, you know, it's it's a game that has specifically set up areas where you're going to get missions and talk to people and and like mm-hmm. fly your ship in. No, at no point was I led to believe that, and did I want to walk from, uh, you know, for, for 15 hours straight to circumnavigate circumnavigate like a small moon or something? Um, yes, yeah, no, I, I don't think that's going to affect my enjoyment of the game one little one little bit. I totally agree. Like the idea that you walk through 40 minutes of wilderness and then get that message and you were like, oh, I wanted to walk 40 minutes more. It's just, it's, 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 it's an, a non-problem. Um, no. Luckily, though, we do have some people online, namely uh, Tom Henderson of Insider Gaming fame, who clearly has not signed an NDA um, and therefore feels more than comfortable uh, sharing uh, what he has clearly heard from his various sources about how the game actually works. I wondered if you wanted to hear a little bit. Yeah, um, definitely. How he's described what's actually going on here. So what he says uh, happens essentially is that when you arrive at a new planet in Starfield, even though this isn't explicit and he's made up this number, what you've got to imagine it is that is that the game breaks that planet up into like 500 tiles almost. And he said, again, like don't fixate on the number. He's just made up the number 500 for the sake of example. But there's 500 tiles. Three to five of those tiles, which the game will immediately tell you about, will be the kind of the POIs. So there'll be like predetermined landing points where it's like, well, if you land here, there's a there's, there's a base here or there's a, a ship crashed here. And those get pointed out to you and you can go and land there and you can explore and do those things. You can also nominally opt to land absolutely anywhere on the planet of your choosing. And when you land, you'll be landing in one of those tiles. Now, you can reach a terrain limit where it's like, You've kind of reached the edge of that area, but there's nothing that stops you, in theory, getting back in your starship and landing in the tile absolutely next to that, so that yeah. you still, in theory, could travel around the entire you know circumference of a planet one by one. It's just they're not one interconnected landmass. Sure. Um, he also said that it's got a system whereby when you opt to land somewhere completely random, uh, there are only five of those landing points that you can go to at any one time before they start overwriting the last one you made. So I guess right. I guess that's like a thing of like, if you go to planet A and you're like, I want to land here and just pick a random spot, the game will remember that landing spot so you can keep going back there. But if you stay at that planet to the point where you've got like, you're now landing your sixth time in a random area, it will forget the first area, okay. which makes me believe that if you went back to that part of the map and put landed in the exact same area, it's be it, would now, it would be different. It will like regenerate. That which is it's funny because it's like look, all games lie to you. Games yes. are not about telling you the truth. Games are about with the technology that they have on hand, creating the best experience for you in a way that is workable on a 
system that sits in your house and that is not the size of a football field. And so if they need to use tiling, if they need to use procedural generation, if they can only store like up to, you know, five points before, you know, they've actually, now they've stored five whole tiles, as you described it. They can't Mm -hmm. store a sixth in the memory. And I I don't, I'm not, people then try and break games to to then make videos and then talk about, you know, interesting and, and just for interest as well, like interesting facts about how games are made. But to the average player like me is going to have, it does not impact my enjoyment at all. And actually probably means that you can enjoy the game a lot more because they can do more with what they've got available. Um, No Man's Sky was a phenomenal like success in a lot of respects and a lot of, you know, about games made procedurally, et cetera. But you can look at the criticisms of that game um, as a like, hey, look, if you don't make it like this, if you don't slice games up, if you don't make them, you know, use little packets of, of information and store things in a certain way. Um, you have to do things in kind of a crazy procedural way. And a lot of people don't like it. So I'm no, I'm, I'm yeah. fine. The fact they've integrated design and procedure and, and this sort of thing. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's just, it's actually a, a really cool, just insight as to how they've made this game and how they've made something so big work. So I was going to say so well, but I don't know yet. We'll have to wait for the review. Well, it, I think it taps into what your point, your point is though, that like, it's almost encouraging in a weird way because when, when you can break it down and understand how they're doing what they're doing and almost not see through the smoke and mirrors in a shifty con artist way, but see through the smoke and mirrors and just understanding the mechanics sort of sense, you almost are able to put more faith in their fact to, in the, in their ability to do what they said they're doing because you now know and understand how it works and see how that can be replicable across however many planets and a game of that size. Yes. Um, not least of all, because these are, this is, we're talking about, exploring planets that 99.9% of are going to be uh, entirely, uh, you know, optional. You're just going there if you want to find certain resources or, or, you know, what have you, or, or like scan certain flora and fauna. I not, not to, in, not to, um, you know, give it, uh, uh, jinx it by invoking cyberpunk at launch, but obviously one of the criticisms of cyberpunk with the, say the police system was, Hey, it's I hate the police system. They can just spawn on the top of a uh, skyscraper right behind you, um, and they shouldn't be able to do that. And you're like, yeah, no, of course, that was a broken system. It shouldn't work like that. But when you play GTA Six, whenever it comes out, the police, when you get a, a wanted thing over you, are not going to leave the police station, get in a car, and drive to find you. They're going to do exactly what they do in G- in uh, Cyberpunk at launch. They're going to spawn. The only difference is. You can't see where they spawn and it's going to make sense in the logic of the game. So yep. if, if they make Starfield using, um, you know, all these clever systems to make a game like this of this size work, then yeah, that's just good game making. Yeah. Un- until we get to the, until we go past the um, the singularity and everything can, everything can be done and everything's insane. We're not yeah, there totally. Every, every person loves to tell their mates when they've seen a character T-posing in a video game as a bug. <laughs> what they don't want to acknowledge is that every single character that's ever been like spawned or whatever, or loaded into a level, whatever wording you want to use, did so in a T-pose. <laughs> and the T-poses exist for a reason. And every character T-poses. When you leave a room, that character is still in that room T-posing <laughs> until like, um, and so on. And so. Like it's exactly, it's exactly that. Like, um, and, and sometimes it's just about like what we can see and what we can't see, what we can understand and can't understand, and how it lines up with our expectations um, and things that like so 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 to speak like break our immersion. 
And I think there are very few people whose immersions are going to get broken at the fact that they couldn't walk literal hours in one direction in Starfield, given how much other shit there is to do um, in that game, or looks like there is to do in that game. Obviously, by the time you hear our voices next, assuming you uh, return to join us for next week's episode of the podcast, we will not have played the game, um, but journalists will have played it, journalists have reviewed it, the critical consensus will be out there, and the public consensus will be beginning to grow as well, as obviously people who have bought the super fancy uh, premium version of the game will have already started playing. Although I believe, um, as of the last time I checked, Jonesy, neither you nor I were going to go down that pathway. So we will be playing on the worldwide, globally accepted release date of September 6th. And I can't wait. We will, um, but I will pre-install so I can play day one. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting, Jonesy, when we do finally get to play Starfield, we will get to see once and for all whether or not the goalposts are going to get moved when it comes to open-world sci-fi RPGs. And one company that are going to be very keenly watching to see if said goalposts move because they're going to be trying to shoot a ball between them themselves in the coming years is Bioware. Bioware, of course. Well, I was going to say one time considered... Uh, legends of the rpg um certainly in the 21st century um that reputation has uh, got significantly muddier in recent years after efforts like mass effect andromeda and uh, anthem uh to name but a few uh but soon jonesy they're going to be entering back into the fold they are currently working on two announced entries in some of the most beloved series in the form of dragon age dead dragon age dreadwolf and an upcoming Mass Effect title, both massively anticipated by fans and uh, a lot of people obviously eager to see Bioware return to form and start making, well, games as good as the original Mass Effect trilogy and Dragon Age Origins and and KOTOR and, and so on and so forth, you name it. Jade Empire, for some weird people out there. I think Chris was a Jade Empire person. <laughs> um, but Jonesy, unfortunately, there was some news this week that may, in the opinion of some fans, although not in the opinion of EA themselves, inhibit their ability to uh, reach the lofty highs that people are hoping they're going to reach when it comes to those um, upcoming titles. And that's because uh, they announced on August 23rd, four days ago, that they are cutting 50 roles at Bioware as they continue production on Dragon Age Dread, uh, Dreadwolf and the upcoming Mass Effect game, telling fans that uh, Bioware needed to take a more, quote, agile and focused approach to game development. Now, um, seeing a company cut some 20% of the number of people at the studio at a time where they're working on two very big projects is a little bit disarming as a fan. Uh, even more so, though, um, was the news that BioWare has let go of Lucas Christiansen, who was the lead writer behind Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, and um, Mary Kirby, who was the writer of the first three Dragon Age games, Perhaps not names that anyone listening to this podcast has necessarily heard of, but it is worth noting that each of them had both been with the studio for over 20 years. And are not just credited with, with being on the writing team of some beloved games, as we mentioned there, but also beloved characters from other games, um, like Lucas Christiansen, who I was talking about, lead writer behind Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, apparently also a really big player in the Mass Effect series. He's credited with doing a lot of the writing for Joker, um, the Seth Green-voiced pilot of the Mass Effect trilogy, for example, a real fan favorite. Um, and unsurprisingly, Jonesy, this has meant that this is a concern for fans or people anticipating, let's focus on the closer, more realistic game of the two, Dragon Age Dreadwolf 
and its development, there have already been delays. There have already been high-profile departures. There were a wave of layoffs back in June of 2022. It's never easy from the outside looking in to know why layoffs are happening, whether or not companies and studios are actually becoming more streamlined. Maybe their processes and development pipelines are becoming more agile and focused. And so with the caveat that it's, you know, we are really speculating in the bit with the most capital of S's. Um, are fans in, in a position where they can look at layoffs like this and keep personnel going uh, again, keep personnel based on CVs and worry, or are we kind of like a trust, uh, trust the process um, kind of phase when it comes to games like Dragon Age? I think, I think you should worry a bit. Like, um, it's, the, so the agile and focus, which is what they've said, you know, we're, we're, they need to take a more agile and focused approach to game development. That is just pure management speak for we want to save money and we're going to do that by firing some people. That's that's all that means. Like there's the agile and focused simply means, yeah, focused is fewer people uh, and agile means smaller team. Like that's, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think we were talking about this just before the pod. Like when you're talking about people that have been at a company for 20 years, I think in some sense it's like blimey to let some really big people go is a bit of a worry, but there's a couple of things with that. It could be that they, you know, that they've done their time and they're, they were happy to go. And, you know, it could be one of those sorts of situations, or it could be that actually they're at a point in their careers where the, the amount they're doing for the individual games isn't as, you know, is not something to worry about. So it's really, as you said, it's really hard to know. Like it's bad that they're cutting people like this many people from um, games that are currently in development. Um, yes. they're obviously doing it for monetary reasons, but that is not to say that, um, that's not to say that that means it's going to have a noticeable impact on the games when they release. Cause it could just be, for example, that they just have a longer, pro- a longer time in development and production. Um, yeah. And, and as we were talking about before the podcast, production pipelines are already very, are also very difficult to kind of like see into. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to know like where there are redundancies, where there are people who maybe have more work in their plate than others. Different studios work in different way when it comes to kind of like where workloads tend to pile up and where bottlenecks can be created. It's very sad to lose two writers, obviously not just for these two projects, but also just for the future of Bioware in general. You'd imagine they'd been cool people to have around, but also it's like if cost-cutting measures are necessary and these are two writers that weren't making massive contributions to these two games for one reason or another or perhaps had made big contributions, but now those contributions have come to an end and maybe there were contracts involved or whatever the case may be, then sometimes that's when we as gamers need to kind of go into that really difficult mode and that really uncomfortable mode of like balancing out this very idealistic world that we'd love to live in where all games are amazing and are made by amazing people who keep their jobs all year round and the realities of the video games industry, which is extremely cutthroat and extremely corporate and where bottom lines matter. And no one wants to be the podcast that comes out and says, yeah, people get laid off. Like that's the way the, that's the way the, but it is, it is what happens in this industry. It it's is the, some of the, some of the worst job security in a creative line of work that you could possibly hope for. It is. And I, I think over the next five years, it's going to get much, much worse. Like it's going to get really bad in this industry. Um, specific, uh, specifically from the, uh, the rise of AI. Like it's so yeah. when you're talking about the sort of people that they're laying off and SAG have had a real problem with this. So this is one of the reasons why um, all the, the Screen Actors Guild like uh, was, was striking, are striking is because 
they've not- noticed a massive um, push from like studios and things to get AI on board and use things. Like, obviously, it's not there yet, but like things like ChatGPT um, four, which is out, which is usable at the moment, is not that good at writing. It's not that good at coming up with uh, dialogue. It's not that good at coming up with. Um, but I, I should caveat that it's not that good if you just say to it, "Hey, just do this for me." But when you use it in concert with like uh, a human helping it and and use utilizing it, it actually can get you like part of the way there. Um, it is going to get much worse, and then over the next five years, as that technology improves, especially if we're talking like, for example, um, we've both seen the uh, Double Fine documentary and about how they made um, Psychonauts two, and how long that process takes. Imagine you mm-hmm. can go from um, from telling a designer and telling a level designer like the sort of thing you want, and it taking them months to put together something really cool. Imagine you can the, the people in the room with the ideas can just say it, and a computer can just produce like a test level for you. Um, you've just done someone out of a, uh, like a you know month, two months job or a couple of people out of a job. I, I, I yeah. think it's going to get much worse over the next coming years. I don't know if that's got anything to do with this. I think it's going to get worse because as the big wigs see that they can save money by doing it, as they can pay a company to give them an AI software that does that replaces 10 people and it costs only five people. Yeah, I think it's going to get worse. And it sucks and I, I don't like it. I'd love to work in the, the industry. I don't, but it would be really cool. Um, and I don't want to see it shrink. I don't want to see the number of people in it shrink. Um, yeah. You don't, and, you don't want to see any creative industry shrink, ideally. No, but at the right. same time, like I think we've, we've talked to like Baldur's Gate 3, uh, we've mentioned already today, um, has utilized some AI to, to come up with dialogue um, in-game um, because it's just simply you could not have, uh, you couldn't have it, the dialogue done by people because there's just so much of it. It's such a big game. There's so many lines of dialogue and there's so much interaction. Like they had to use AI to some degree. Um, and how f- long does it take before, hey, do you know what? A game can just like on the fly come up with NPC dialogue. Yeah. Well, you, do you remember Ubisoft like announced that system? This was at some time last year, I think. And originally I think it was pitched as a system that came up with like really short snippets of like combat barks or things that NPCs right. might say when they're being attacked. And they had this really interesting way of uh, of integrating it where it wasn't just like we opened up chat B- chat GPT and told it to say some stuff. They had their own learning model to learn on based on everything they'd written before. And they had a system where every single voice line was going to get put in front of a writer and they were going to be able to shape the writing or approve or disapprove of certain uh, lines that the AI, AI, AI generated. Right. And when they disapproved of things or shaped things or changed things, the AI would learn that and integrate that into its writing. And and they were and they were trying to make the argument, hey, we're doing this exclusively for this very small but like sometimes quite time consuming part of video game writing, where no one who can come up with no one who can d- design fucking planets and languages and races of aliens wants to sit there talking about like what a grunt says just before he gets shot in the head, or like writing like open quote, he's over there exclamation mark close quote. Like that's not they would argue that's not a valuable use for writers' time. Um, but I remember that idea, like they got, I mean, it's Ubisoft, so they would, and it's Twitter. So of course you combine those two things together and what you get (laughs) is reactionary content. And it was massively reaction and people were really, really unhappy. But I remember thinking like, fucking hell, like if there is an inevitability to the way AI is going to get implemented into the video game development process, at least they seem to be taking some amount of care to make sure that writers are still relevant. Writers still hold all the control and that there's still human beings who understand the game they're making on and what they're doing that are like 
having a, a final say over whether or not the the legwork that an AI has done can be implemented in the final product rather than just letting them run wild, which I'm not suggesting anyone has the idea of, but yeah. I know people hate it, but I suppose it's the 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 problem is the slippery slope, right? Is it, is it, it starts with, and, and it's funny because you say, uh, they, they didn't, they were saying, oh, no one, we don't want to waste writers on having to write this stuff. Like I remember my first job in television was um, transcribing interviews from celebs. And it was like, who, no one wants to do that. You could just get, you could get a software program to do that these days. And I'm like, yeah, but if I wasn't hired to do that, I never would have then got another job and another job and it got further and further. And I think it's maybe it's that kind of deal is that when you take away the entry level, like the low level positions, you're going to stop some people getting into it. And, and like I said, there was nothing to assume that this is a, an AI thing, but I do think that's, I do think just to say that it is an issue that's just going to get, it's going to get worse. Um, yeah. I think I was reading today, I believe that some, I don't know how true it is, but someone was saying Meta have got a, uh, AI, oh sorry, Chat GPT four level uh, uh, LLM, and they've got a, another version coming, which is the equivalent of what Chat GPT five would be. And these things are almost like logarithmic, right? They're not just one stage on; they're like every version is like ten times better or something. And they were talking about making it open source, and so you're just like, yeah. imagine, imagine a Chat GPT five that is open source that is available to come, you know, any company I've worked with in the past that needs you to write anything. You've just you've just sacked off an insane number of like fresh out of university twenty one year olds who yeah. can't really write anyway. Like if I'm be- when they first start out, the amount of stuff well, you have to check and go, you are terrible at writing. Um, you've just done them out of a job, but they improve. They improve and that, become well, fantastic writers, which is the that's the other funny thing about video game writing is that there's a lot of video game writing out there which is really heavily criticised by a lot of the same people that want to make sure humans continue to remain responsible for yeah. that bad writing. The irony, um, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> they keep criticising it and criticising like, it, and when and someone Bio- says we changed it, you're like, no. Bioware are one of those companies. Like, hey, we made the you know you know how you've hated the last handful of games we made. We got rid of the people that wrote it. And then everyone's like, oh my God, but they wrote that thing I did like 30 years ago. And yeah. I, uh, now, now I'm getting into this weird like territory of like, you know, sentimentality and, and so on and so forth and, and uh, creating anything under the circumstances under which videos, video games are made can be incredibly taxing on hearts, minds, and souls. Um, and so I do sympathize. But the, the problem is it's going to be so good as well. It's gonna. This is as consumers. It's gonna be rough because we're gonna love it. We're gonna absolutely love it. We've got a Google Doc open right now that tells us everything we're gonna has notes and everything we talk about, so that we remember where we are and we have the facts and figures in front of us. And I've got my mouse cursor on that Google Doc, and there's a little pencil and a plus sign next to it that says "Help me write." And when I click on that, um, a little uh, prompt box comes up, and I can say, "Help me, um, help me write a message." For this is great podcasting. Mate, have you wrote a message for Jonesy to let him know I appreciate his input uh, on the Super Show Super Show podcast, which which is a podcast about video games. Can we see how it does? Yeah, go on. Okay, this is I believe this is called Google Labs, um, and it's implemented into things like Google Docs by default. Hey, Jonesy, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for all your input on the Super Show podcast. I really appreciate your insights and expertise on all things video games. 
Your contributions have, have been invaluable to the show, and I know that our listeners have enjoyed hearing from you. I'm looking forward to continuing to work with you on the podcast in the future. Thanks again for everything. Best, your name. Yeah. And, and Wait, do you know what? You can sit and write your own why, thing. Why would you bother? Like, why would you bother writing anything ever? Like, if you're applying for a job, or if you're writing a cover letter, or you have to send a quote-unquote formal email to someone you don't know that well, all those situations in which we kind of choke up a little bit and we're like, should I say all the best? Or like, like, or should I say thanks? Or should I say like... Like, like, just you don't. It's gone. It's, the funny thing is, you, the criticism often often becomes, um, but you're. It's not uh, Terry Pratchett. It's not. Um, uh, right. It's not Shakespeare. It's not. So you're like, yeah. Do you know who else isn't the other like like two billion people who live on this planet? Like they exactly. aren't either. They're writing stuff like, "Cheers, mate. See you later." And do you know what? The computer's going to do that better. Um, and that, and that's true as well as when people first get into writing and stuff, it's, it's no better. But then on the other hand, like go and read those, you know, where, where you type something in and you like Google something and then all these, this exact answer to your question pops up and you look at it and it's obviously written by AI and it's terrible and it gives you no information. It doesn't answer the question. You're like, I hate AI articles. Like that happens as well. But I think the reality for gamers is, um, is that it, I don't know how long it's going to be, but you will get to a point where you play an RPG game like Baldur's Gate, I don't know, seven, for example, and you can interact with it like you interact with an actual um, dungeon master playing a tabletop RPG. And you can say whatever the hell you want and it answers it and it works and it lets you try whatever you want and you are, it is boundless. And, it, and NPCs are like actual mates. You can go to the pub and have a conversation. You could talk to an NPC for 25 hours and you have a really meaningful conversation about the meaning of life, but you're in the 50th iteration of Skyrim. And it's like, and this is like, this is so strange. How am I, how's my best friend an NPC in, in this weird version of Skyrim? But that's what we're aiming. That's where we're going. Uh, and unfortunately, these people that have lost their jobs are... Um, Probably not even got anything to do with this, but it's it's a definite possibility that uh, these mid level writers and devs and things because one of the one of the things ch- like uh, Chat GPT for example is really good at is coding, um, helping you code. And if you need to code something and you just need a little bit of help, yeah, very hop true. in there and put some code in, and it will it will sort you out and it will do some stuff for you. And I have asked it to write after effects expressions for me before, and those expressions have not worked. And I've told them that it has not worked, and what has not worked, and it has fixed it. And those fixes have sometimes also not worked. And I've it's <laughs> taken about eight times going back and forth, but it saved me watching a YouTube video. Yeah, and it often I love it when it says, "I'm sorry, I, I don't think I understood." And I'm like, "Yeah, you didn't. You're an idiot." But yeah. but or, again, or this like, is now. Like, like, what is it? Or like you, you tell it, it does something wrong, and then it, and then it's like this, as you're telling it, it's done something wrong. It's like it always knew. Like, oh yeah, no, of course. Let me fix that for you. It's yes. like a waiter who bring, like, brings out the wrong food. Um. So yeah, it's gonna. This is gonna get worse. But but what is also bizarre is it's probably one of the best times ever if you wanted to get into like being an indie dev, um, and you have an idea, you have an idea for a game, well, and you need yeah. help to do stuff. You're probably reaching like a golden age of indie development and the worst age for mass, um, you know, writing if you're a dev. But then, but then yeah. new jobs will be created. You know, there'll be brand new stuff. You'll be people that need to write the prompts for the AI to generate the levels to do whatever. Cool. Um, Cool. Swings and roundabouts. Uh, absolutely. There are going to be pros and cons. Um, they're going to be totally subjective depending on who you're talking to and how they stand to benefit or not benefit from this situation. Um, us here, though, on the Super Show, for the time being, 
we will continue to benefit from the uh, the joys of AI, as I have just uh, done by asking uh, Google Labs to take the letter it wrote you, Mr. Jones, and turn it into a rhyming poem. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, hit me. Hey, Jonesy, I'm writing to you to say thank you. You're a star through and through. Your insights are keen. Your expertise is supreme. The Super Show podcast is better, than, is better because of you. It's no dream. Our listeners enjoy your thoughts and your jokes. You make the show fly like a rocket on rockets. It never croaks. So thank you again for all that you do. We're lucky to have you on the Super Show crew. You're the glue. That is crap. <laughs> that was yeah. For, my favorite part is like a rocket on rockets. Like a rocket. I don't know where it's rockets. got. I don't know where it, I, I understand it, but I don't know where it's got that from. Like, do you reckon that's something where someone's it's read that somewhere? Someone describing something like, as a rocket on rockets, like a metaphor, and it's picked up and put it in some weird database. Like, oh, a positive metaphor is someone being like a rocket on rockets. May yeah, maybe. I've, I've got no idea. I said something fun I did once was I I got I opened a Chat GPT three point five window and a Chat GPT four point window and I made them have a conversation with each other. All right, that's like when you call up two takeaway restaurants and get them on the <laughs> phone to each other and ask ask takeaway restaurant A to repeat the order and then put them on loudspeaker to restaurant B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you called me. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly like that. Yeah. Um, no, and it was fun. It was fun to see what happened. But we're gonna get uh, the games are gonna be insane when. I think, you know, someone, there was a story recently about, uh, I think it was an OnlyFans model who who uh, fed a bunch of stuff into an LLM and then charged people like a dollar a minute to have it, you know, interact with them. And she made a bloody fortune off of it. And she told everyone what she was doing. And you're like, if it can get to the point where it's as sentient as an OnlyFans model, that's not me critiquing how clever OnlyFans models are, by the way. Um, right. How long before it can uh, do better video game writing like punch for punch. Imagine it never gets it wrong. Imagine it na- like exactly what you've just done in a game. It just looks at what you've done and says, wow, Jamie, that flip was amazing that you did over the top of that tank uh, to shoot it in the ass. Like, you know, it knows what you've done. It just watched what you did. It's, yeah, yeah, it's going to be sick. It's going to be really learning good. all the time. Do you, know else would, do you know what else would be good? Here's an idea for a video game starring two podcast hosts who love games. The game is a 2D platformer where the two hosts must work together to solve puzzles and defeat enemies. The glasses-wearing host is the agile one, while the fat host is the strong one. They must use their different abilities to progress through the game. The game would be set in a, in a, set in a world of video games, in a world. And, the host would, and the host would meet various characters from different games. The game would be full of humour and references to video games. The game would be called The Podcast Hosts, and it would be released <laughs> on PC and consoles. That's great. I love how it misses out at every important facet of actually making it. It just says this is what it is. Yeah, it also like the only details it could provide, other than the game being a 2D platformer, are the ones I provided. I.e., one of <laughs> us wears glasses and the other's fat. And everything it said about like how the game functions, solving puzzles and defeating enemies, progress through the game, setting up setting the world of video games, meeting various characters, full of humor and references. Like it's just yeah. at the moment that's just filler, but you know, like yeah. It's still a fun exercise. Um, it is. And if anyone wants to fund that game, then keep an eye out for the <laughs> GoFundMe that will be launching inside the next six weeks. The podcast hosts coming to uh, PC and consoles in the uh, couple eight, of years. Eight years. Eight years time. Twenty thirty one, folks. How old are you going to be? Doesn't matter. You'll be playing the podcast hosts, and that's all that does. Um, and with that, Jonesy, 
I mean, you you did. There was a sharp intake of breath. I heard. Oh, do you know what I was gonna. I was gonna say the death of the games industry will be when you finish a game like the Last of Us Part Two, mm-hmm. and you and you just type into your console, uh, produce Last of Us Part Three, and it just makes it there and then, and you just play it. Because then it's like, what's the point now? In that case, I, I agree, but I am I am somewhat certain in saying that like nothing like that will ever happen in my lifetime. Oh, to the extent, to the, not to the extent that you're talking about it, in my opinion. Like, I, I don't think we're at the point where, like, I don't, I don't know what my lifetime is. I'm 30 now. Some people would have some pretty pessimistic um, outlooks on what my life expectancy would <laughs> be. I understand that. I'm not going to indulge in them um, at the moment. But I just can't imagine, like, let's say in the next 40 to 50 years, you're going to take what at the moment is a $220 million five-year endeavor for hundreds of people and like manifest it before our very eyes. I just, I think I, 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 we've agreed on a lot of the uh, elements or ideas around AI and how they can and probably will, uh, for better or for worse, be implemented into the game design or game development process. But like AI being able to make a game, it's just not, like, I don't I, know. I, my brain won't let me follow you there, I'm afraid. Uh, so I just had a quick look to see what games came out the year you were born 30 years ago. Assuming, like, let's say, let's say you make it to sixty. So in thirty years' time, so where were we at thirty years ago compared to where we are now? To give us an idea about where we could be. So Street Fighter Two Turbo, yeah, Disney's Aladdin, okay, Dra- Dragon Quest One and Two, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I, when you look at those and you look at where we're at, I think you're wrong. <laughs> we've come a long way I could just as easily turn around and say that some people out there who still believe that Street Fighter 2 Turbo is the best fighting game of all time and they may well be right and, and 30 years of technological progress and get video game development know-how haven't been able to improve on something I would probably so what's an AI going to do make Street Fighter 2 that, there's, the, there's the interesting could an AI now make Street Fighter 2 if you said, I, I want a game, like, da 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 No, it would, it would still have to work with someone. It would still have to have a oh, person there who, yeah. like, hey, does this it art would. look okay? No, it's got six fingers. Oh, thanks for letting me know. No, that's absolutely, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, you would you still need a person at the moment, for sure. But no, I'm saying in 30 years' time, could you remove the person and make a, a modern game? But then, then you get into the interesting thing, and I, and I know we're just dragging out this podcast, but I apologize, but, like, what is the thing you hear said... I'm not going to say the most that uh, that would be backseat game developer of me, but like a thing you hear a lot when people are talking about developing video games, the hardest parts and the lulls of video game development and where the crux of the issue often lies in developing video games, finding the fun. Can you get to a point where artificial intelligence knows what fun is and understands how people, what makes people feel like they're having fun? I, no, I think you're right. I think that will be the big because what it, it will be formulaic. It will be mathematically yeah. for, mathematical formulaic, and it will be lack personality, and yeah. it will lack. We, would an AI saying, would an AI bludgeon Joel to death in the opening? I mean, uh, you know, core of a, of that. Probably game? not. Probably not. But like you mentioned, psychology, and there is that point very early on where they're like, we've built, we've got the RAS model, and we built the level, and like. The, and half the mechanics are in the game and we're doing telekinesis and we're like doing this and we're doing that and the game's the game's just not fun yet 
And like, I could see that being a big hurdle for AI where it's like, hang on, I did everything you told me to do. Yeah. And we said, yeah, but you didn't make it so that the human who has their control, has a control in their hands, enjoyed it. And they're like, I don't really understand what you mean. How do I make it more? What do you mean by make it more fun? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, David. I don't, I can't do it. Like, what what do you mean by make it more? And you know, no, it's, it's very true. And to be fair, like, I think, um, maybe there's a difference between LLMs and how well they can come up with language is because actually they can imitate. It's a lot easier to imitate other language, like in snippets, especially in snippets and like text conversations than it is to actually produce a fun video game. Yeah. Like that's yeah. a very different thing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, definitely a lot of food for thought there. Um, I mentioned at the top of the podcast, if you wanted to join into the, join in the conversation, share any thoughts or hot takes that you, that you, that you had, then you should do so. And I've got to imagine after topics ranging everything from um, whether or not Starfield should let you walk in one direction to an hour to whether or not AI will one day be able to make The Last of Us Part 3 on demand, <laughs> there's lots for you to feedback on. So please do go ahead and do so, whether in the comment section on YouTube, whether you reach out to us on Twitter at SuperShowPod, whether you come and find us on the Discord by pledging $2 a month over at patreon.com forward slash SuperShow. There are so many options for you to keep up with us as we roll onto the two, well, probably busiest and most populous months for video game releases that we've seen this calendar year. Um, And hopefully we get some juicy, uh, plentiful video game news and headlines to go along with it. Jonesy, thank you so much for uh, joining me on this adventure this week. You've been great. Thank you, mate. Thank you for being uh, the excellent host you always are. Uh, My pleasure. And of course, thank you so much much for watching and or listening once again we'll be back here again next week on monday evening hopefully being streamed live on youtube so please do come on down and say hi if you feel so inclined and with any luck we'll see you there bye see ya